Okay, church, um, before we get started in today's teaching, uh, one last announcement that's really, really important. Um, this Monday, tomorrow night, uh, at 7.30 p.m., we have an all-church town hall. Now, to get to this town hall, um, it's on, vir- sadly, it has to be virtual because of, you know, life. Uh, go to realitysf.com slash town hall. We want everyone, uh, at least one member of your household, to join so you can relay this information. We're going to be talking about kind of the future of our church when it comes to um, community and um, what does gathering look like and um, uh, dealing with uh, the current situation that we're in when it comes to politics and race and the division in our in our church and in our nation, really, uh, around this subject. And, uh, and then we're going to break off into random groups of like three or four and just pray for a little bit. But I think it's going to be a really important town hall going to our fall about kind of the stuff that's um, that's going to be going on in the future of our church. So please make sure that you're there tomorrow night. Um, go to realitysf.com slash townhall to get on that link. And if you call Reality Home, we hope to see you there virtually. Um, cool. Well, today I want to continue in the series that we began last week, the one we're calling Revision, Transformation Through the Worst Year and modern history. Now, that title is only funny because it's true, and it's becoming more true every week, right? And today I want to teach on how we transform through community, which is one of the points on the triangle of transformation. Community is a very important point. Last week we talked about the Holy Spirit and life. Today, the uh, the triangle transformation we're talking about community. Now, I think we all know we need community, Um, but today I want to talk specifically about what community looks like in times of COVID or the time of COVID that we're in now, time of global pandemic, a time of social distancing. What does community look like specifically? And to do that, I want to read in Romans 12. And it's a long text. I think this text, even if we just read it and it was the end of church, it would just, it's such a good text for our church to meditate on and to think about Romans chapter 12, verses three through 21. Stand with me and read it out loud together wherever you are. Hopefully I can read it with good cadence so you can follow along with me. And at the end, I will say the word of the Lord and everyone will say, thanks be to God. Romans 12, three, four, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil uh, for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, these words are so true. They're so true, God. And I proclaim them over our congregation. It's so hard to bless and not curse. It's so hard not to get revenge and retaliate. It's so hard at times to practice hospitality in the midst of COVID. All these things seem a little extra challenging and we need a little extra grace, Lord Jesus. So would you grant that to us as we, as we discover maybe some, some things in this text and some things in our church right now that you might want to be leading us into by the power of your spirit. Um, would you anoint me? I submit all of my capacities to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Community has always been risky, which is why it's so hard to give ourselves over to authentic community. Risk is defined by exposure to the chance of injury or loss. If we use this definition, if you ever lived in a relationship of any kind, you can see how relationships and community has and always will be a risky endeavor. For community and relationships have latent inside of them the ability to leave you hurt and injured. And that's because there's an inherent risk involved in letting people in and being let in by someone else. And if that wasn't always true before, it is more true now. Community seems more risky than ever. Risky because of our current political divide. Risky because of the racial tension in our nation. Risky because of a pandemic where community in almost any traditional sense carries with it the possibility of infecting someone with what you may not know you have. So why do it? Why risk on relationships and community? Why take the risk of getting hurt? And the answer is because the alternative is a form of death and even hell itself. C.S. Lewis writes this in his book, uh, The Four Loves. He says, quote, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. See, what Lewis is saying is that we need community and relationships and even vulnerability in these relationships like we need air. And after six months of shelter 
in place. Many of us are starving for oxygen. Think of it this way. I might not ever have to teach on the need for community again to this generation. You're gonna teach the next generation that didn't live through this. Like we need, this one time we went a year, six months without community, without like really deep community. And it was the worst thing, you need community. Like this is gonna be woven into our, our narrative, our history, our story. We all know we need it. We all feel how vital community is, even when there's real risk, not just emotional risk. There's always been emotional risk, but now there's a social risk to community with our current political and racial divide and a physical risk to our relationships with COVID. But we still know we need it. So the question becomes, how do we navigate community in COVID as followers of Jesus, or we could even say in an election year as followers of Jesus, or we can say with all of the division in our nation as followers, how do we do this? How do we navigate that in a church, this church, that believes that one of the main parts of our spiritual formation is authentic community? And I will say this again explicitly by way of reminder to you, church. Let me remind you, you need authentic Christian community to be formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You need it. The banner quote I've shared with you the past seven years around this idea is from the book, When the Church Was a Family. It says, quote, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. People who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow, people who leave, do not grow. This, this quote has guided our church in being a community following Jesus for years. It is still the quote that I, I want every one of you to get ingrained in your soul. You need, we did this whole thing two years ago. You need authentic Christian relationships and those are defined by interpersonal conflict. You will have interpersonal conflict in relationship. You will, you will want to leave. You will want to leave the city right now. You will want to leave the church right now in some ways. Some of us will feel this in our bones. And for, for spiritual formation to happen, we have to remain and work through it. There's no other way to be formed in the way of Jesus outside of authentic community. A community that is devoted to one another in rugged commitment to each other. That doesn't, that doesn't run when things get tough. That doesn't move opportunistically to other people groups or cities that doesn't shut off community because the risk is too high. And we need community now more than ever, not just for our humanity, but for our spirituality. But again, the question is how? How do we do community in the age of COVID? Well, I believe that inside the limitations of our current crisis, there is the possibility to build and recover the kind of community we have always wanted here at Reality. I think there is an opportunity right now with the limitations that are placed on us because of COVID and everything going on in our nation, I think inside of these limitations and inside of this crisis is the possibility to build the kind of community we've always wanted to build here. 
Now, I, I believe that these things can be found in our text, and I'm going to try to lead us through them. And here, here are the here are the ways that I think that um, this text invites us in a, in a in a kind of community during COVID right now. Here, here are the ways. Um, they are humility before rightness, service over shelter, and joy versus substitutes. I'm going to talk through each one of these um, first. Uh, the, Im- the invitation to community in, in our current crisis takes humility before righteousness. Uh, Romans, I'm going to read a sampling of, of our text today. Um, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed each of you. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Douglas Moo, in his massive commentary on Romans, points out that Paul's main point in this section of scripture is this. He, he writes, Paul is especially concerned that believers do not take individualistic uh, approaches to transformation. Thus, he wants us to recognize that the transformation of character is seen especially in our relationships to one another. So on one level, what Paul is writing here is he's teaching, this text is saying, we shouldn't think of ourselves too highly than we ought. We shouldn't think of ourselves to the point where we think we don't need other people to grow, that we got it, that we can educate ourselves, that we can practice our, our own knowledge base. We, we can just do the things like and surround ourselves with people that agree with us. Don't think of yourselves too highly than you ought, that you think that you don't need other people to grow. Now, I don't think that's a hard point to make right now especially six months in the shelter in place, we can't grow in f- to become fully formed Christians in our Christ-likeness alone in our rooms. We need one another. And often the conflict and challenges of being with one another, the, 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 the conflict that being with one another brings, we need those too. So we have the opportunity to choose love, to choose hospitality, to choose humility, to choose harmony and peace. But there's another level to this text that I believe is especially applicable to us right now. And it's this. We are living in a time where we desire to push our rightness on others. I didn't say righteousness. I said rightness. We want to push what we think, what we think is right about politics, about race relations, about COVID practices, about COVID legitimacy on others others. I want you to do something. If you have your Bibles open, just scan and skim the section that we just read and see if there's any exhortation or any instruction about being right. Go ahead and do that. Just look. Is there anything in this whole thing when Paul teaches about the one, like how we live with each other, is there anything about being right? About being right politically, about being right in social awareness, about being right in conspiracy theories? Anything there? I'll give you a second. Now, if you're scanning it, you might be talking to the TV or the screen or whatever, or maybe on a podcast or something. You're saying, well, we'll go to verse nine, the second half. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. That's what I'm doing. I'm hating what is evil. Yes, that's great. You, you, you found probably the, the only place you can come, come to this, this conclusion. But right before that, Tied to that very phrase is another line in that text. Can you read that one to me? It says, love must be sincere, right? Love 
must be sincere. Now let's put the whole thing together. This is what Paul's saying. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And my point is this. We live in a world where it's more important to be right than it is to be loving. That's the world we live in right now. We, we, it's, it's, it's way more important to be right than loving. We want to hate what is evil so bad. We want to make people who don't think like us or see the world like us to be classified as evil, to demonize them so we can hate them or hate what they're doing. But that's not the point of this text or this entire passage when it talks about Christian love. The point is love, which is why Paul follows up hating what is evil to clinging to what is good. The only way that we can hate evil in someone is clinging to what to, to clinging to them in goodness. That word cling um, is a relational word that refers to a marital covenant. To cling to someone in a covenantal commitment. You hate what is evil by clinging to what is good. And if you and if you go to the very end of this passage, we overcome evil with good. As we choose love, you see, this is the, the, the whole point here is that when we see evil in the community, we overcome that with good, we cling to what is good, we love and cling to them over anything else. See, we typically say, we typically stay in communities that we think are right and that we agree with. But there's nothing here about either of those. It's about love. Christian binding love. When you lose that, you lose everything. So instead of creating communities where we have to be right, where we have to be the right political party or the right side of some debate, first, we have to not think too highly of ourselves. That is, we have to be humble, to be humble to think that maybe we don't know everything that the other person might have valuable things to bring to our community, even if they think COVID is a conspiracy. To cling to one another in love. But that will, that will honestly take a huge dose of humility over and before the desire of being right. Now, what does that look like practically? Well, many of us think too highly of our own persuasive skills and argument tactics. We think we can argue someone into our point of view. But all science proves that this is not the case at all. We are loved into new ways of thinking and being. We are loved into new ways of thinking and being. Loved into them. Often it's the love attachments that we have with people in, in our communities that build for us empathy and the mirror nuance to make our brain work with our loving attachments to make us want to be like other people that we're around. That's how our brain works. So we want to change people by thinking that we can debate them or you know, Facebook blast them, but it only happens through relationship. We know this. This is like biblical language. This is social science. This is the way our brains work. And this is very biblical from the Shema to what Jesus said about loving him and by obeying his commandments. Love and obedience are tied together because love is what changes us. I guess what I'm saying is your arguments to make people think like you don't work. Only sincere love can do that. 
Which is why, as a part of our formation, Paul says that we must love like this. This is why the, the only way, one of the only ways to be changed into Christ likeness is to be a part of a community of love, of deep devotion, of, of, like, of like rugged commitment to each other. And what that will take is a humility to not think too highly of ourselves, to think that we are right. That's really hard right now. It's hard for me. I know it's hard for our community. We want to be right. That is not uh, a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Nothing about being right in there. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It is not a quality of, 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 of deep Christian community. Love, love is a commitment to love and commitment to loving, uh, loving one another in the way of Jesus. Okay, so to quote Kendrick Lamar, be humble. Okay, number two, service over shelter. Romans 12, uh, four through eight. Let me just read this to you again. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, this is familiar language to you if you're a student of the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians also has a section like this. Paul writes to them. And these members do not all have the same function. So with Christ, though we are many, we form one body and each member belongs to all of them. So if you're like um, over the age of 35 transformers, if you're under the age uh, Power Rangers, right? This is, like, this is like that idea that we are stronger together and we all form a part and we make up the body of Christ. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then he goes in the gifts. If your gift is this, do it. Do it well. Do it faithfully. Do it graciously. Do it diligently. Do it cheerfully, right? Like you just, whatever your gift is. Now, the point is here simple. And this is gonna be a really short point because the next point's gonna be longer. The point is simple. One of the most important missing parts of not being able to gather for a Sunday service in real life is that we can't bring our gifts to Sunday church. That's missing right now. That is devastating to the church. That is one of the hardest things. Typically on a Sunday, people show up with their gift of prophecy. People show up with their gift of serving. People show up with their gift of teaching, their gift of encouragement, their gift of generosity, their gift of leadership. This is done through prayer teams and greeters and Sunday school teachers and team leads and just walking up to someone to encourage them as the spirit leads you there is not, that's not happening right now. I mean, it will happen again in the future. God willing, and we're almost 100% sure it will happen again in the future. But in the meantime, church, let's reactivate these muscles. Let's, let's put our finger on, oh yeah, that's, that's kind of missing in my spiritual development right now. Let's recognize that we need to use our gifts in the body of Christ and find creative ways to do that. Here is is where being in community is so important, a community group. Use your gifts in your community. If you're in a community group or a group of people that you're like with and you get to see often, prophesy, lead, encourage, like you show up with your gifts. Ask the Spirit every day for ways you can use your gifts for the body of Christ in creative ways during this time. See, sometimes it's creativity that unlocks our gifting truly, like figuring out a way to be creative around it. Now, I will talk more about this point tomorrow night at our All Church Town Hall and in the subsequent podcast throughout this week. So lastly, last point, joy versus the substitutes for joy. Uh, another sampling of Romans, never be lacking in zeal, 
But keep up your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. This is an important point. This is actually the whole, maybe the whole reason of the sermon. The other stuff was like a lead up to this. This is so important. Now, all of these exhortations sound great. But this is better read as a list of things that we don't have much of anymore, if we're to be honest. We're tired. Our zeal tank is on empty. Our spiritual fervor is down. Our hope is a long way off. And patience wouldn't be the best way to describe that anxious pit that we have in our stomach right now. The question is, how do we build up our zeal, fervor, patience, and faithfulness? And the answer is joy. Neurobiologists or people who study the brain and brain chemistry have found that joy in the brain is directly connected to the regulation of our emotions and an ability to endure suffering. In other words, joy is directly connected to our zeal, our spiritual fervor, our patience, and even faithfulness. Jonathan Grant, in his book on human sexuality, writes, quote, neurobiologists have shown that while most brain development stops sometime in childhood, the brain's, quote, joy center located and observable in the right orbital prefrontal cortex is the only part of the brain that never loses its capacity to grow. As Dr. James uh, Frazen and his colleagues explain, when the joy center has been sufficiently developed, it regulates emotions, pain control, and immunity centers. It guides us to act like ourselves. It releases neurotransmitters like dopamine and serotonin and is the only part of the brain that overrides the main drive centers, food and sexual impulses, terror and rage. Without sufficient joy strength, we spend the rest of our lives trying to fill the deficit. Joy strength, joy capacity is central to living well in an election year, in a racial flashpoint, in a global pandemic. But how in the world do we build joy? How do we build our joy capacity up? And here's, here's where things, maybe I'll, what I'll point out here, you're going to start to see why you're so low right now. Neuroscientist out of UCLA, Dr. Alan Shore, in his research on the brain and behavior, discovered that the brain develops in a person through joy and attachment. And he defined joy as this. Joy is defined relationally as someone who is glad to be with me and being the sparkle in someone's eye. Trip out on that. In other words, brain science reveals that joy, which is crucial for our emotional and relational development, is directly tied to seeing the face of another who is glad to be with us. And when that happens enough, it fills up our joy capacity and our emotional gas tank. Remember last week I said joy is a supra emotion that lays on top of other emotions. So if you have joy, you can go through pain. You can even go through anger. You can go through fear. You can have joy and fear, joy and anger, joy and pain. It lays on top of it. But we need joy. And that, but that's the way that our brain is why the way that I should say the way that God created our brain, we'll get there in a second, is to our joy to be built through the face of another. In other words, God who designed the brain made us in such a way that we seek joy through the eyes and facial expression of other people who are glad to be with us. Now, this is very consistent 
to some very important biblical texts. Or in other words, you can say, it's really cool when neuroscience kind of catches up with what the scriptures have been saying for a very long time. The first thing is something that I say to my daughter every night before we lay her to bed. It's a blessing that the priests who represent God were to speak over Israel. Listen to this blessing carefully. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Face shining, face towards you, joy. This is how our brain is wired to receive joy. And it's right there in this blessing. God's face shining upon you, God's face turning towards you. This is what this is a this is a blessing. This is true life given to us. That's actually what a blessing is, is to look at someone and say, I'm glad you're here. I love you and I'm glad you're here. This is a blessing. And again, Psalm 1611, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, if you have a Bible software, you can click on that word presence and it gives you the literal meaning of this word or what this word literally meant in Hebrew or the Hebrew word. And this word presence literally means the face that turns on you. So the way this text reads literally is in your face or towards your face, there is fullness of joy or in the face of God, when God's face turns towards you or shines upon you, that's where we receive joy. Joy is built in our brains and in our lives through God's face. And that's just not with God, that's actually with one another. We build our joy capacity up by seeing one another's face. Dr. Jim Wilder, who calls himself a neurotheologian, and who was a student of Dallas Willard, writes this, quoted from his book on the subject with Michael Hendricks, says this. He says, when we are the sparkle in someone's eyes, their face lights up with a smile when they see us, we feel joy. From the moment we are born, joy shapes the chemistry, structure, and growth of our brain. Joy lays the foundation for how well we will handle relationships, emotions, pain, and pleasure throughout our lifetime. Joy creates an identity that is stable and consistent over time. Joy gives us the freedom to share our hearts with God and others. Expressing our joyful identity creates space for others to belong. Joy gives us the freedom to live without masks because in spite of our weaknesses, we know we are loved. We are not afraid of our vulnerabilities or exposure. Joy gives us the freedom from fear to live from the heart Jesus gave us. We discover increasing delight in becoming the people God knew we could be. Now, by the way, the masks, that was um, a metaphor. That wasn't like, this wasn't written during COVID, like literal masks, but the masks that we wear. Okay. Now, maybe you see, maybe I'm, I'm, maybe you're ahead of me right now and you can see the problem how all of us are one step away and why all of us, a lot of us, not all of us, a lot of us are one step away from walking away from relationships. Maybe you're one step away from walking away from the church or one step away from walking away from the city. Maybe you're exhausted and you can't take this anymore. You're like, why is this so hard? And the answer is we have 
almost zero joy capacity right now because we haven't seen the faces of others. We've been looking at them on a screen and we wanna make really big life decisions right now. Like I'm leaving this whatever, I'm out of here, I'm doing this, but it's like grocery shopping when you're hungry, it's not wise. And I even have received a, a couple, maybe two, I say two, concretely, but maybe this represents a lot more, people that are angry at the church right now. You're angry at our church right now. You're angry at the way that we've been talking about what's going on in our world right now. And so we have to ask ourselves, why is that? Why, why, why are we angry? And here's one possibility. It could be, honestly, could be um, because you're angry and because you don't agree. And that, that's, that's fair. That's completely fair. But let me just posit one other theory or one other thing that could be going on. You could be really frustrated right now with your church because you don't see anyone's face. You don't see the, the diverse ways that people react when they listen to something on a Sunday you don't see people going forward for prayer or kneeling or crying or receiving Christ. You're not, you don't see the face of another person that welcomes you. You don't see my face in person and what's going on with me as I wrestle through the content of what's happening or standing there afterwards ready to answer your question or sitting with you. You don't see any of that. Actually, you're watching me on the same device that you watch the news on and your brain knows how to connect the two. This is a dangerous time right now for the church if we don't understand what's going on and what we need. We need to be aware that the things that we're feeling is because we're wired to be with other people. And that right now is in a lot of ways not possible. This is not a case for like, you know, skip the government, we're gonna gather. That's not the case for this. We'll talk about kind of what we're gonna be doing next week. This is the case for the, the need to be aware of what's going on in our minds and our hearts and our brains and the need of seeing each other face-to-face, -face, comma, safely. The only way actually to build joy capacity is to see someone face-to-face. -face. And then I'm talking about FaceTime or Zoom. The, actually, the brain knows the difference between screen and, real, and a real person. And we know this, right? We know this when we study the brains even of children, they know the difference. A child knows the difference between real life and, and Zoom or FaceTime. They know the difference. And this is canonized in our science fiction or have you not read Ready Player One yet, right? So our neurological circuits do not react to screens the same way they do to real faces. So you might be thinking, where am I going with all of this? You might have, you're like, oh yeah, totally. That's it, that's it. I have, the joy capacity is so low. I'm not seeing my community. I'm not with them. I'm not building this joy up. I don't, their face doesn't light up when I see them and vice versa. And there's not all these connections of like the church being a part of, you being a part of something a lot bigger. That's not happening and your joy is low. Where are you going with all this? Especially during a time of COVID. Well, I want you to consider church, Start meeting safely in small groups, obeying the laws of our land to protect the vulnerable right now, to start meeting in small groups in your community to start to begin to rebuild social intimacy. Doing it with all the current guidelines, and I don't know when you're, like, when you're listening to this, the guidelines could change, but obeying all the guidelines, which is right now completely safe to meet with a small group of people outdoors with you know all the guidelines, begin to rebuild social intimacy. We've spent so much effort and good effort even 
on building social distance. We need to safely rebuild social intimacy. We need to build our joy capacity up as a church. If we're gonna make it through the rest of this year, if we're gonna make it through the next two months of election, if we're gonna do all of this stuff as Christians that put on love, we need to build up our joy capacity. We need this in order to, to, to really live into what Paul exhorts us here in Romans 12. To know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that, would you please, cliffhanger, join us tomorrow night for our all-church town hall. This is where I'll end though, this is where I'll end. Since joy helps us regulate painful emotions, when it runs low, what we'll actually do is look to non-relational sources to stop pain, meaning we choose joy substitutes, things like food and social media and shopping and alcohol and drugs and pornography. I don't know if that is you or has been you, you turn to medicating through food or making yourself feel better through food or alcohol or sh online shopping or pornography or hooking up with someone through apps or whatever. Like you just can't, you can't cope right now with what's going on. And so you look for joy substitutes. Those are substitutes. And some of these substitutes are, are normal and good things, and others are addictions waiting to happen, training our brain to receive joy in disordered ways, and thus deforming our character and life with God, not forming us into Christ-likeness. And so our joy, which is so important, it can be built up. It can actually start to be, to be built up right now by looking to Christ. By looking to Christ, looking to his face, receiving from Christ the light that comes from his face, allowing that to warm us, to convince us of our belovedness in Christ. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I don't want to just name the problems. That would be really unfaithful. But Lord, I hope that today by your spirit, there was something of the solution. There's something of, of choosing the way of love and choosing the way of showing up in, our, in the body of Christ with our gifts and, and choosing again to build our joy capacities through um, seeing one another face to face and lighting up when we see each other and sharing our burdens and our struggles and our weakness with one another and sharing our life together, but also in ways that are safe and loving. Lord, give us creativity as we move forward as a church this fall. Give us creativity. We need it, Lord. There's so many things we need from you. We need to be sustained by your grace. And I pray now for those who um, need to confess sin, they confess the sin of joy substitutes, of making food in their belly an idol, making pornography or alcohol or shopping or some other way that we're trying to cope that we know is like a joy vacuum. It actually makes us more hungry for real joy. It's like fake sugar. It just makes us want the real thing. I pray that you would hear our confession as we confess to our sin and forgive us from all unrighteousness in Christ. Lead us, lead us in the way everlasting, Lord. Protect our church. Protect us, God. 
Allow us, Lord, to start to rebuild in the coming weeks social intimacy and help us to be um, prophetic in the way that we do this, that both protects the vulnerable um, and, and builds the capacity to, to, to be a light and salt, be salt and light in our world through the rest of this year. In Jesus' name, amen.